Hi, this is Thomas DePaulo. This is Dole. Hey, this is Melon Bread. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. And you're listening to The Green Box. Tonight on The Green Box, we're joined by long-standing Delta Green community member David Tormson for a lengthy discussion about mythos organizations outside the United States, how to run games with them, and some advice for fans who want to write their own. Check the description of this episode for links to some of the organizations we'll be talking about. So, Tormson, welcome to the Green Box. So we asked you here today to talk to us a little bit about some of your prolific work in creating uh, non-Delta Green, you know, non-American mythos agencies for countries that don't necessarily get a lot of limelight. Some would say I have done too many, but I would not. Do you plan, are you going to knock off every country? I don't, that's a lot of countries. Um, I don't want to do every country. I, you need to have some countries that have nothing. It's just for juxtaposition. Uh, I do kind of agree with Adam Scott Lancy on you can't have every country having anti-mythos agencies because it is. it would be rather unrealistic. But I think the number of countries that... My idea of the number of countries that could have anti-mythos agencies is a bit different from his. Um, just having it as Pisces, GRU, SV8, Delta Green, M-Epic. I mean, that's four. What's the difference between four and eight or ten? I think I think that four is already... Because um, his, his criticism was, like, if there were that, if every country had one, then there'd be someone who would just use it like a nuclear bomb. And I think that four countries is already too many for that not to happen. I think that between the United Kingdom, the Soviet Union, the United States, and Canada, four of the biggest bastards on the planet, I think someone there at some point would have, had, would have said, hey, let's fucking drop this on somebody. Well, I think Glancy himself also provides kind of an out for that with one of his created organizations, uh, the Congregation, essentially Demon Hunters for the Catholic Church. You don't know that the mythos is a real thing. Delta Green started off as an anti-Deep One agency. Maybe you just, maybe there are anti-mythos groups that stay at that level. They just know about this one thing and they never reach a broader understanding of the forces of the mythos. So is everything that you have written so far designed to be used, designed with the assumption that, that the players will be working for it? Generally speaking, yes. Um, I would assume that if you're wanting to come up with an anti-mythos agency that doesn't come from the United States, the reason you would do that is to because you want to play as those people from that country. Um, it's no use having an anti-mythos force be like a bunch of NPCs because that's of limited use in your campaign unless you want the NPCs to do everything for you. You'd want them to be your players, which is why, as is how I designed when I was doing my... Uh, unofficial anti-mythos French agency, I designed it like that. I designed the chimeras so that it would be the players um, who were fighting the mythos and being va- being very vaguely controlled by old spies, but not being so specific in their like modus operandi that, it's, that they can't be used for PCs. I think something you're kind of hinting at, and I'm not sure if you're meaning to, is that you, you kind of need to take the 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 culture of a of a country into into effect because you can't just you can't just take Delta Green's organizational structure how they play how they are run 
cut Delta Green out and copy paste in you know Delta French and I, make it yeah, work. I disagree 100%. I think that that is probably the what I would recommend for most people who aren't into homebrewing their own content is if you want to run Delta Green in your country, cut out all the lore about Majestic and the origins with the Deep Ones and Innsmouth and stuff. Just drop the cell structure in there or whatever and call it good. Done. Drop it into your country. Remove all the lore because the lore doesn't matter 90% of the time. Just do that. That's the easy way to do it if you don't want to homebrew your own content. And also that you have a bunch of different choices in terms of how you want to port over the Delta Green stuff because Delta Green was different depending on the era. So you could look at this country, if you're choosing a country and say, okay, I want an anti-mythos force for this country. Do I design them based on the program? Do I design them based on the group? Do I design them based on the outlaws? It could be different depending on what part of Delta Green history you're ripping off and what's most appropriate. The reason I, I, the reason I said that is it seems uh, I played in that a game you ran with the Burundian agency and it seemed like you took the culture at least at least the high level view of the culture of brandy into place because the, the agency was a lot, lot more religion focused a lot more you know anti um anti-demon but anti-heretic but they still knew the score which felt like which wouldn't work in like america if you want to make a new agency then you should not make it a, just a rip off of delta green if you just want to play the game in your country then absolutely rip off delta green if you don't care about about developing this elaborate intelligence apparatus and coming up with why they do. Because Kevin, I agree with you. I think that, that the the thing that makes this fun is to make them very different. That's also the hardest thing. Yeah, it's the hardest thing. And there's also an easier way out for people who aren't into it. There's a natural problem that people have when they're designing and like alternate anti-mythos agencies where they write a lot of information. They try to write a lot of lore, trying to keep up with all the lore that was developed for Delta Green or Pisces or whatever. When I found that it's way better if you could just write down your anti-mythos agency on like enough to fill up one sheet of paper so people can read it and go, okay, I get, I got the general idea. Let's play this game. Because you don't need that much. You just need to say, where did it come from? What how did, what makes it different or unique from versus Delta Green? How does the culture fit into it? And then off you go. So l- l- let me ask you this. Um, let's say you are, let's say, you'll, let's put aside the idea that you want to run an agency in your own country, because it's your country. Let's say you're all American or you're all living in the same country. You want to run a game set in, uh, set, set in another country. You could, because I've done this, you can have Delta Green operate outside of American borders. So I guess in your mind or in everyone here's mind, you know, when, when do you just fly Delta Green over to the other country or, or when do you bite the bullet and come up with some sort of uh, local force or when do you split the difference? Shane Ivey has come out and said that there is a, a basic uh, structure to how Delta Green operates overseas that can be used sometimes. But yeah, sometimes it, is, it doesn't make any sense for every um, situation. Like, I don't really believe that Delta Green could easily operate within China, for example, or even like a country that's closer. Um, like, even like European countries, people would be asking questions, who are you guys? And it's just a lot more difficult. It's already difficult enough for Delta Green to operate within the United States. Once you take it to another country, it's it's either you're in... You're right in the sense that um, I think I think, I think think you and I, and I think probably Kevin, are, are moving in the same direction, which is that having a thing set in a place where um, logistically would not be... Uh, it would it would it would not make sense for your existing anti-mythos agency to operate is when you want to think about what can I put together that would um, that would work instead. And the other question is, do you want like the fish out of water? Nobody speaks the language. Nobody knows anything about local culture. Do you want that to be a part of the experience, or are you want do you want to be more laser focused on like, hey, here's a cool thing that's set in Finland. I don't really care about like the whole people, you know, 
getting lost and not being able to speak Finnish. I want to focus in on like the actual threat and the, the context of that. So where's my Finnish Delta Green equivalent? Well, that's it. Like if you want to do a, a foreign excursion as part of a campaign, which is set in the US, then that fish out of water aspect can be entertaining and a nice juxtaposition to your usual game. But if you want to run like a one-shot or you want to run a short campaign or a long campaign set in a foreign country, that fish out of water aspect can just sort of get in the way and become a distraction from what you're trying to do. And I think I think in in reality, well, in Dollar Green reality, this would be frowned upon, but I think if you were going to, let's use the Finnish example, you could totally have two agents who are from the Finnish version of Delta Green. You could have a very stripped down version, one page, very basic, and then you could fly in three Delta Green agents and you could have like a joint operation. And it allows a little bit of fish out of water, but a little bit of cooperation. But I think in reality, I'm not sure that Delta Green would ever work with another agency like that outside of maybe Britain. Well, it depends on what you want to do for your own game. I mean, if you want to have Delta Green to have a close relationship with the Finnish Anti-Mythos Agency, why not? Well, I played in a game once where there were three players, two of us were Delta Green agents, and one of us was Canadian. Not an MEPIC officer, just a regular federal law enforcement officer within Canada. They're, They're called RCMP. RCMP officer, thank you. Uh, if you go that route, that could be the start of another country's uh, anti-mythos agency that you are unknowingly working with a Delta Green agent overseas and maybe they give you some help because you've seen the elephant and you can't you can't join Delta Green, but you could be their friends overseas. I do like the idea of sort of uh, going into the whole like Bush era after the Iraq war when the US military is training up the new Iraqi army and taking that whole idea and applying it to Delta Green, like having the 2000s era Delta Green being like, oh no, we can go around the whole world and set up all these little mini Delta Greens that'll do our bidding for us and then it going terribly wrong. I know with my usual uh, meat space group, I have a couple people there who I could offload a lot of the narrative onto. Like I know I play with one guy and I can basically say, hey, you're, you're the only finished Delta Green agent you know, from Finnish Delta Green, uh, whatever you want to invent about him, go for it. And along the way, he would sprinkle in interesting stuff about Finnish Delta Green that I don't, I don't have time to create, but he would add to the whole story about what, you know, why they exist and how they operate and whether or not they have a cell structure. And you can make it a lot more realistic because one of the problems with the idea of every country having a Delta Green is it just getting that whole scope creep where suddenly there's all these secret organizations running all over the world but there's no reason why a country with um one of these anti-mythos agencies is anywhere near the scope or capacity of delta green they could be working from an office they could be like four guys who know about the mythos and one of them knows a delta green agent you could like reduce it down to a manageable scope especially for smaller countries where it would make sense that someone knows, someone in law enforcement or the government knows about the mythos, but it's just not that many people. Any, any advice on uh, if someone's going to try to create their own and they're looking to, to us, any things they should stay away from? Like What, what not to do? Well, um, I think it's important not to get bogged too much down in the details, as I mentioned before, um, not to get lost in the weeds, to maintain a focus on what you want to do with this agency and have an idea of why you're not just using Delta Green, why you want something that's indigenous. Um, in that in that uh, case, the directive from ACEL article from Adam Scott Glancy does actually provide some useful um, advice in terms of working out your theme, working out the scope of the operations you're dealing with. Uh, but yeah, I would just say that the simplest thing is to keep it simple. 
and keep it gameable. Um, don't have all this like secret lore that the players are never gonna uncover. Just have like well, you can have that if you're intending to play a campaign and have it un- have it revealed eventually. But if you want something that you can play straight away, keep it simple. Keep it uh, understandable. Don't like it's useful to go into like the cultural differences and things like that. But it's also important to make sure that's fairly grokkable and that it's people aren't going to be like I don't understand what's going on. You want to have it so people be, people can maybe lean on some cultural touchstones that people are familiar with and build on that. You don't have to do that, um, but it can be useful in order that everyone sort of knows what what you're trying to do. Like, um, I thought it was... I was worried about my Burundi game in terms of it being a very different setting, but, like, by keeping it relatively broad strokes and describing it as being like, well, yeah, they think they're fighting Satan, um, people could easily get behind that and be like, oh, okay, I know what I'm doing now. Dormson, you write a lot... You've written a lot of these um, on the Fairfield site over the last, like, uh, decade, but a lot of the newer stuff you have not written up. Yes, I haven't written... Well, I have. It's I've got notes and stuff. Because yeah. there was a difference because I think a lot of people end up writing a bunch of stuff because they, they want to play Delta Green and then they don't have as much opportunity to play Delta Green, so they end up writing a bunch of stuff instead to, to scratch that itch. Yeah, that used to be me for Eclipse Phase. And it's different when you've actually got an opportunity to run a lot of games because then you'll write stuff differently because you're writing stuff that you'll use straight away or you can just give straight to your players as opposed to writing stuff that you can be like, check this out, mailing list. This is what this cool thing I wrote. It's a different um, mindset. When you're writing stuff that that, um, you don't ever get to play with, there's a lot more volume there of of words because you don't have to make it um, readable for the people to actually run. There's no assumption that you're ever actually going to use it. Yeah, that's why it's, it's important to actually use the stuff that you write, I've found. Sometimes it's not possible, but it's it's more possible now than it ever was. I would say my first agency that I sort of came up with, an alternate agency, was the Vanguard for China and their um, counterparts in the acquisitions group. And in that one, because I... I China's a huge country, and China has a lot of stuff going on, and it's difficult to have Delta Green agents operate within China, and I think it's a lot more fun if you're actually playing Chinese agents than playing American agents, like, trying to get by well, for that for that sort of thing. Um, now, but that one was the most, that was pretty much the most directly ripped off from the way Delta Green and Majestic 12 operate. Um... Because the Vanguard, it has its origins in the Cultural Revolution period when you had all these students running around doing um, mouse bidding and just destroying all the superstitious thing, uh, superstitious uh, old culture, which is basically just smashing up temples and all this horrible stuff. And that just seemed like a logical period where you'd have... If people are directly going out there, all these high schoolers angry communist high schoolers going out to old temples to smash things up yeah they're gonna come across something mythos related eventually so it seemed like a a fairly obvious um starting point for a a a chinese equivalent for delta green um and i wanted something that was modern and not like some hoary ancient like group that had existed across multiple dynasties i wanted something that was derived from the modern period and modern history and then the acquisitions group, which are their kind of frenemies, they're more like Majestic 12 in terms of they cracked the looking glass 
and managed to steal some Majestic 12 information. Um, but like way too late, like just as Majestic 12's getting cut off from the Greys, the Chinese finally get their way in and they're like, yeah, we can steal all America's alien technology that's not working anymore. So they that's sort of their... Inter- their um, the way they interact is very similar to the way um, Delta Green and the Majestic 12 interacted or how the Outlaws and the program interacted. But because it's China... Um, and it's not because it's a different situation. They are more they they do more coordination. So it's more like the way Majestic Twelve and um, Delta Green sort of semi cooperated in the early two thousands uh, before the schism. Um, so that's what I uh, that's the most that that's the one that was the most a direct rip off of the situation in the US. But because I wanted to create that parallel between the situation in the US and the situation in China. So Trump, I, I think it's interesting that you've gone. Like modern, because when if I was going to think about a Chinese agency in a vacuum, you know, China has a lot of history as opposed to like the U.S., which which doesn't. It all got blown up during the Cultural Revolution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, but I look at like the Three Kingdoms period where there's all this magic, so, you know, like historically uh, or, or mythologically all this magic. And, you know, you just like tie that into some sort of mythos creature, mythos, you know, big bad. And you've got your ancient order of monks and but that's you could totally do that and if i was i if i was running i think like there's a whole bunch of periods in chinese history that could totally do the the cthulhu invictus cthulhu dark ages treatment and just make that be the setting and the background and there was plenty of old school bureaucracy that you could fit in some kind of ancient delta green equivalent there but i don't like the idea that something like that continued through multiple dynasties when everything else was burning to the ground every 200 years is kind of unrealistic to me it, it almost has to be like there'd be like one monastery left where these guys follow the old ways and there's like 20 of them i could see that um, which, which could be which could be cool you know i could see that i would probably do that in like an early 20th century sort of game um i'm not sure how long they well you could do that like it's a long history and you could you could add things like that but I, I wanted to do... Because I didn't want to go with the whole, like, oh, the mysterious ancient ways of the East. I wanted to go, like, looking... I wanted to base things on modern history, as Delta Green is based mostly on modern history. The oldest um, anti-mythos agency, canonically, is M-Epic, which dates to, what, like, 1908 or something like that? So I wanted to have it to be... I, wa- I didn't want to go the route of having some ancient organization i wanted modern so based on the zeitgeist of the 20th century and the 21st century i think that for my feeling about acquisitions group is that and uh and its equivalent in vanguards is that i like the specific items more than i like the general organization i think that the the parts that i like about it are stuff about like the drop of stones which you know standard conspiracy theory but then like the fact that that you basically stuck into China's gulag system, a gulag for wizards, which is something that only like a bureaucrat who didn't understand what was going on would do, because that's a super, super terrible idea, but it's a lot of fun anyways. And I remember you saying, you know, how how like hard do I want to go with this? Do I want to like get into some like Falun Gong organ, organ harvesting shit, or do I want to keep it more high level? I understand why Melon likes a certain the 
just individual bits as opposed to the whole. It's mainly because I haven't put the Vanguard through the ringer of actually playing games games with them as opposed to the other ones. I liked what you suggested you were going to do with it, though. You were going to try and use the mosaic system, which is the Chinese uh, intelligence gathering system of essentially having a shit ton of agents who none of them do that much for you, but when you put them all together, they give you a, a sort of a gasalt picture of what's going on, and you were trying to figure out a way to mechanically represent that in the game. Yeah, that's, I've still, that's still on my, on my to-do list. Uh, but yeah, it's the mechanics of how to do it um, smoothly that are tripping me up a little bit. So well, so so here, here's here, and I, I'm I'm sorry if this is too in the weeds, but the way I want to handle it is, um, you've got your character who is like the the grizzled boomer sitting in the uh, the government office reading the intelligence reports, and the grizzled boomer thinks about all his assets. Um, you know, he's got to be prepared to sacrifice them, but at the same time, those are people who he could be sending to their death. He could be exposing to danger. And so when you do the you do the flashbacks where you have the um, the the intelligence assets going out and gathering the information, and when bad stuff happens to them, your character, the intelligence analyst, takes sand damage because he's getting his agents killed. And so you have this risk reward where you can expose your 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 disposable NPCs to more danger, but it your your real your real life guy feels bad about it. That's how I would do it. That could work. Like, I could see, I was thinking about having, like, having all the characters basically just be sitting in an office in Beijing, like, running all these, um, these, like, small-scale civilian agents that only have to do one thing, and then pass the information on, and then go back to their lives, um, and then having the sand damage creep back, and even if you're in your office in Beijing, you're, you're thousands of miles away from the horrible mythos threat, it still creeps back through the intelligence, um, I just... I just need to figure out how to do that in a smooth way. So the one, the one that you did that I really like uh, is Office Forty Four. That was that's the one that I've used the most. It was initially meant to be an antagonist, but it seems to have worked way better as like a player um, organization because it's so different. Um, so for the benefit of listeners, Office Forty Four is my North Korean um, occult research program um so that this what makes them different from delta green and pisces and all the others is the fact that they are trying to do what adam scott glancy was warning about and weaponize the mythos because they they need to do their mentality is in order to uh maintain parity um with the united states with its huge military is to try to use forms of asymmetrical warfare um and they stumble across the mythos and mythos magic and decide hey this is this could be used um to further the needs of the democratic people's republic of korea so instead of going out and trying to stop the mythos you're going out and trying to get the mythos to take it back to be studied but your agents are still vulnerable to the fact that it's mind-rending sanity destroying horrors and the standard things tend to happen but the goals are different and the uh the context is different. It's a really interesting take, and it opens up the door to similar organizations in, um, you know, all the other stereotypical, you know, finger quote, bad guy countries. And the good guy countries. I mean, Majestic 12. Yeah, and the good guy countries. <laughs> I liked this. I like I like that it's, a, it's basically an evil campaign. Yeah. I think that it's fun to be a character from this very alien society. And the theme that I always got from Office 44 was that you are a monster, but there is always a more powerful monster than you. Yes. 
one of the good things about running Office 44 is you can sort of do the, as you were mentioning before, the whole fish out of water thing. But then when you put them in the US, it's like it's a reverse fish out of water situation because suddenly you're these North Korean agents trying to like not get caught by the cops in the US. So it's it's that tension that you might get from an outlaw's adventure, uh, adventure or scenario, uh, but like raised up to 11. And it does it does risk getting into suspension of disbelief territory because obviously you need a certain number of agents to speak the language, otherwise you're really going to be lost. You need you need that's that's one of the other things is that that's the only, probably the only campaign I've played where having a language skill has really come in handy. Well, that's it. Like language skills are useful if you design your scenarios where they will be useful. It's the reason the reason why it works is because. Unlike in Delta Green, where you're thinking, well, am I going to get a book in ancient Greek? Am I going to, you know, get a book in an ancient movie in the call? In this one, it's you're in a country called Korea, but you live directly south of a country called China. You're across the water from a country called Japan, and you're constantly interacting with those bastards from the country America. So that's basically a small number of languages that you can specialize into and have a very concrete benefit for knowing. And that's the context. Like, it's more difficult for, like, a Delta Green game because it's you're less likely to have frequent interaction with a different language group, except maybe, like, Spanish or something, but that, yeah. that's part of the, the game. Like, otherwise it becomes too specific. Like, if you're going to have, like, a, like a horror at Red Hook style like Yazidi cult that speaks Kurdish, like how often is your agent going to have, uh, how often are you going to have an agent which speaks Kurdish specifically? Like you could, it could make sense if you're doing a Delta Green game that was always set overseas. Like if you're doing like Delta Green in the Middle East um, in like the mid 2000s, and then it would make sense that you'd have a character who could speak Arabic or a character who could speak Farsi because then you'd have a, a, le- a smaller pool of languages that would make sense. And so it would be less of a hassle and less likely to be uh, useless. Something uh, that seems interesting to me, I have not played in any Office 44 games. And uh, Melon, you described it as like an evil campaign. You could almost play, you know, two or three scenarios as the bad guys, breaking legs, being jerks, and then get to America and then have that moment where you're like, wait, you can buy groceries in stores and they have everything. And then either through maybe being captured or realizing you know just how things are you can almost flip it into a into a redemption campaign which could be kind of neat yeah there's no reason you couldn't do that like you could make them like the but there's no reason you have to do that you know there's no reason you have to have the north korean agents become good over time because i think the important thing when you have a country like that like an agency like that that's dealing with the mythos is you get the juxtaposition between the very mundane sort of human level evil versus just the uncaring malevolence of the mythos. Um, one thing that like always struck me was in one of the Delta Green um, fiction pieces um, that was about the when the Nazis were trying to deal with the Deep Ones and trying to sacrifice uh, the Jewish prisoners, not knowing that the Deep Ones didn't care about like the Nazis' ideology at all. They have like a quote from the the Deep One representative, some guy named Henry, and he's talking to the Nazis and he's saying like, yes, we will take the enemies of your dot 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 race. And you can kind of tell that the Deep One is just like, I have no idea what the what your guy, what this whole like race thing you guys are talking about is. It makes no sense for us, but we'll just go along with it because you humans are weird. And I think that's sort of like how the mythos would deal with North Korea. North Korea wants to like get weapons to defend the country and unify the peninsula and have the Kim Dynasty rule supreme. And any kind of mythos 
force is going to be like, yeah, guys, go ahead with your stupid little kingdom. You can do what you want, but it has nothing to do with the overall state of the universe. That's how I feel about Melon. I forget which scenario it is, but you had a kind of an anecdote about a monster that uh, it was summoned and the sorcerer just wanted it to create gold and how this was completely trivial to the monster because it would just keep bombarding loose hydrogen atoms together until it had synthesized gold. Yes, and uh, it made, I think the gold probably ended up being radioactive because it um, probably some of those hydrogen atoms missed. But yes, it was a similar example. Um, they think the only one left in the pile is uh, um, the Burundian one, which... And the French one. Chimeras, to an extent, was less inspired because it was... Um, it, it came about because I was annoyed with the organization that Adam Scott Glancy came up with. And I've told you, like, the reason I was annoyed by this was... Um, in this article, he talked about how you should come up with the theme of your organization. And he gave examples of the different themes of um, the organizations from the canonical organization. So he describes Delta Green's theme as the burden of responsibility that comes with knowledge. While Majestic 12 is the corruption of power. Pisces is paranoia. GRU SV8 is fading hope. And they're all very cool universalist themes that are easily applicable. And then he describes the how the French one... Now he talks, he gives a whole paragraph about how to Americans, the French represent a bunch of ingrates who hate us all the more for having saved their bacon twice in the last century. And when I read this, I'm just like, I understand the whole Franco-American, like, like uh, annoyance with each other, but you're supposed to be making an organization that French players can use. Why would you make the theme France sucks? Isn't the theme, isn't one of the biggest themes of Delta Green that America sucks? It is, but at least it has a little bit of, um, there's a little bit of nobility in its purpose, or at least, like, it sucks because of the details, but Delta Green is still fighting the good fight. But if you're building something from the ground up, from the fundamentals, like writing in an, an extremely American perspective, an extremely negative one, it doesn't seem like the best way to go about doing a foreign like, intelligence. Like, or Del Delta Green was written from the ground up from the premise that the U.S. government is evil and is involved in a conspiracy against ordinary people to ally with aliens and destroy us. But it's not irredeemable. The original goal of Delta Green was to find enough evidence to, I think, show to the president to convince him to disown Majestic 12. I, I didn't know that. That's cool. That that yeah, I mean that that feels like ridiculous. Like, are you a bad enough dude to convince the president to tell Majestic to fuck <laughs> off? Yes. But I still like it. It feels it feels like like when when was that in the original splat? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's in the original splat. If it sounds like it's of its time. Well, I'm 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 just dumb as hell. Then I I thought maybe it was like something from the old Unspeakable Oath posts. So Thompson, what kind of you know when I read because I was looking for a French agency uh, to put into a game that I'm writing right now. Um, and you showed me yours, and you, you showed me uh, Adam Scott Glancy's. His just Glancy just seemed. I'm not. I won't call it lazy because it's it's not lazy. Um, which it seemed like it missed a lot of the interesting things that make France France. You know, this recent colonial power empire. You know, very multicultural. Some of the integrated cultures, like from part of Africa, are very pro France in some ways, and some like from Indochina are not. So you have a lot to play with there, and it felt like to go with this. You know, America saved France and France is mad about it. It just seemed 
Uh, it seems like you could have gone a lot more interesting places with it. The thing about Glancy's article was what inspired me was less his article and more the the comments that were left under it, mostly by French players who were telling him in far more polite terms why what he wrote was nonsense and giving different ideas. And so I basically just stole all their ideas and mixed them together with um, something I discovered about how the DGSE uses... Um, these people called honorable correspondents who are civilians that French civilians who will do work for the um, for the French intelligence services out of their patriotic duty um, and how the French intelligence relies a lot it's similar to the, how the Chinese operate actually which is interesting but the, yeah, the French will use civilian um, correspondence frequently and that seemed like something that I could use just to steal that idea and say, okay, these deniable civilians can be used for a Delta Green equivalent. Um, but that inevitably made the Chimeras, which I came up with, um, although I didn't come up with a name, some French guy came up with that name, which I just stole. Um, but it made them more of like a Call of Cthulhu-esque organization because they're all civilians being, um, but their handler is a DGSE agent. So it's sort of like that in-between between Call of Cthulhu and Delta Green. Uh, and my logic for that was the fact that a lot of the reason why Delta Green ever became a thing was because the designers wanted to come up with an with a structure to explain why people repeatedly go on operations um, that was a bit more than just, oh, my uncle has died and left a creepy old house in his will. Um, they developed a an organization that will send them out, which is where sort of the idea of where Delta Green came from back in the early 90s. And so I just, from that basis, I developed the Chimeras, which I haven't used, I've only used once, but it, it went pretty well. It's an extremely minimalistic organization because the it seems like the only thing about it that distinguishes it from normal Call of Cthulhu is that framework where there's someone telling you to go do this thing for a reason other than just for the hell of it. Beyond that, it felt when we were playing it because it was it was like a it was like a really cool game, very you know immersive and lots of like fun little side adventures and diversions, time travel, uh, alien worlds. Uh, Strange religions, death cults, Yogg-Sothoth, but it felt very much just like a normal ass Call of Cthulhu game. And the only so basically, basically the main the main it feels like because it because it's something where you specifically said don't like do a law enforcement profession or intelligence officer or special operator because this is not what this game is about. It's about normal people. Yeah. Um, and that was the sort of the design decision that I made. I wanted the Chimeras to be more of a civilian organization. And that might not scratch the itch for everyone who wants to run a game in France. Um, someone might, wa might want to play as the French equivalent of Delta Green. Um, and for that, Chimeras wouldn't really be appropriate. Well, that's the, the real beauty is that you can, you know, and you don't need to blow away the Chimeras if you want to be part of the French Foreign Legion's anti-mythos agency or if you want to be part of the you know, the French version of CIA's Mythos Agency, they can all exist and you can have it all work together or you can blow it away if you want. Well, also, also um, Kenneth Height wrote his organization, Cloud, for um, Fall of Delta Green. And reading what Glancy did for, Glancy did for Section Disparu and what Height wrote for, with um, organization Cloud, none of it actually contradicts what I wrote with Chimeras. They're just different errors and different focus points. And there's no reason you couldn't have three organizations in different eras in different parts of the same country that just didn't know about each other. That would almost be more realistic to me. Organization Claude didn't have enough detail for me. It it basic it didn't it didn't have like a single detail about anything they actually did or how they did it. It was just saying they existed and this guy was a part of it. 
I think that it would have been useful to have more because there's a lot there's a lot of blood that like that, that's a rich vein to tap because when I think of like what kind of fucked up stuff could a French guy get into in you know special forces in that time period I'm thinking well well I mean there was that whole thing about using torture in Algeria there was the whole thing about the French Foreign Legion recruiting former Nazis yeah it's it's a bit of a pity that that wasn't like organization wasn't included and expanded upon a bit more in the fall of delta green book itself because it it would be fun like there's lots of crazy adventures you can get up with with french intelligence in that time period because they were doing all kinds of fucked up stuff like the whole thing with the um like the the greenpeace boat oh yeah clear tests oh yeah that stuff's fun and you could easily tie that in with like cthulhu cult or whatever or just i would like the the greenpeace boat would be a great scenario in a way but I don't know how to do it. Whether you'd want to make the Greenpeace people secretly uh, mythos cult. Well, you could just turn them into like incompetent terrorists. But never mind, they already are. Oof. But anyway, tell us about your Burundi organization. <laughs> okay, and again, the Burundi organization was inspired by my distaste for the article from the handsome and talented game designer Adam Scott Glancy. Uh, he wrote, um, and he, he had a good point. I'm like, he said, if you start adding anti-mythos agencies, where do you stop? Does Belgium get an anti-mythos agency? What about Brazil or Belize or Burundi? And my initial plan was to be like, Fuck you, Adam Scott Glancy. I'll do a game for each of these. But in my research, I... Belgium and Brazil just seemed too easy, like, to do. Like, it just seemed pretty much straightforward. Um, Belize seemed interesting and different because of its uh, ties to the British Commonwealth and the British Empire. Uh, but Burundi was the clearly the most interesting, which was... That was the one that he was using as his most sarcastic example. But it was the one that made me th- think... Actually, Burundi would be super fun for a game because Burundi is a small country with a, a bloody, a kind of a pretty bloody history, and a lot of. And I like the idea of playing these government agents fighting the mythos in a country where the resources were extremely limited compared to, say, Delta Green, uh, where like um, it's difficult to get a car because most people in Burundi don't have vehicles and it's difficult like guns and weapons easy but other sort of requisition is more difficult and I like that sort of um, the limitations of trying to fight alien gods under those conditions Uh, not that it makes much difference because we all know that all the gadgets and and special items that Delta Green has doesn't really help that much either it's nice because it's you know it's a non- you know, uh, non-Western country. So it's you know, if you're if you're gonna you know swap over to French Delta Green or Finnish Delta Green, it's there's still a lot of Western trappings that are gonna be the same. But in Burundi, there's there's not. So it allows you to really kind of get into it. As we mentioned earlier, you know, Melon and I played a, a Tutsi and a Hutu, which you know could have been really dark and weird, but we just kept it kind of lighthearted. But they still had veterans with a little with a little, tra- little little trauma there. So. It was just a neat kind of breath of fresh air in Delta Green. I liked it a lot. I like I like the Burundi game. I like that it's it's a very different um, world. I think the main thing is that it would be quite difficult to keep coming up with content for it because it feels like it's a part of the world where there's not quite that same like density of information. It's not like there's no cachet to it. It's not like really slick and and hip to think about like you know North Korea is in the news all the time and there's all kinds of there's all kinds of information about the weird and wacky things going on there but aside from being a, like a footnote in the Rwanda genocide Burundi kind of doesn't appear that often in like western media western news you really have to go go harder on like the sources to learn what shit's even like over there let alone run a game there 
it is a bit challenging, but it's not as challenging as you'd think. Like, there is actually... It's it's the internet. You can find the information. You can go on African news websites. You can go on Burundian news websites um, that are in English. Some of them are in English. You can look at UN reports. Like, you can get enough to run a few games. Like, Burundi is a small country, and that makes it a bit more difficult. But it also helps because you can kind of consolidate what you know. Um, there's no difference between playing, like, you could play a Delta Green game that doesn't leave Rhode Island, so why not play a game that doesn't leave Burundi? Like, you can get a few scenarios out of it, and what more do you need? You don't need to necessarily run a 20-game Burundi campaign, but there's no reason you couldn't, either. Um, you just have to be a bit more creative. You could play a Delta Green game where you're trying to escape Rhode Island. So, what I like about the the Burundi one is I could totally see this being packaged up with a little write-up about the organization, a pre-packaged scenario, a couple hanging plot thread hooks. as almost like a little mini splat book. Yeah, you don't need that too much um, for something like that. Um, you don't need to dig into a deep lore because the, the history of the country as it is is interesting enough and it makes it... This is why for my threat for that particular scenario which I just stole off Caleb Stokes was uh, an alien threat because I wanted to have that juxtaposition between the fact that the Burund- that the Ikigongwi, the Burundian anti-mythos agency, um, they had a Christian bias to what they were doing and there was also... Uh, I didn't want anything to be too derived from like African magic or African mysticism or like witchcraft or like any kind of things like that. I wanted it to be an alien threat that would be misconstrued because I thought that would be more interesting. Yeah, because we wasted so much time on that poor Congolese guy who just brought like a bunch of good luck stuff with him. Yeah, that was that, that was deliberate on my part because yeah, yes, the Congolese guy had a bunch of weird witchcraft stuff, but that was absolutely normal. That was just the local culture. Tormson, uh, do, do you have any other stuff or anyone else that you want to... Because I want to hear about M-Epic now because that's that's an established organization that runs into a lot of the same roadblocks as um, people do when they try to create... Or maybe 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 the organization itself doesn't, but trying to create content for it can. I have successfully self-aggrandized. It's interesting because you... you so, so I want to hear about this because M-Epic is an official Delta Green um, myth, anti-mythos agency that lives in Canada. And it is different from Delta Green in many ways some of which are actually very difficult to represent in a game. Yeah, that's the biggest problem, especially if you're doing... You have to do kind of a, a long campaign-style thing to really appreciate the differences in M-Epic, because a lot of them only manifest over the long term. Like, for instance, um, M-Epic does these psych test things uh, based on... And listeners, go go to Wikipedia and look up the fruit machine. This was a real thing um, in the RCMP in like the, the 60s or 70s. They thought that they could build a machine to see if you were secretly gay. And in fact, the machine was actually worse than random chance at detecting uh, hidden gays. Yeah. So anyway, um, M-Epic has a, a thing derived from that technology to, to gauge the sanity, essentially, of its officers. And it's about as effective. So that's one thing. Um, so I don't know much about M-Epic, but why, why run a game with M- M-Epic? Why not just run it with Delta Green? What? Uh, because fuck you, American, and don't infringe on my uh, national sovereignty is why. Uh, we, you tried that shit in 1812, and we burned down the White House. If you wanted national sovereignty, you should have thought of that before you had all that delicious oil, son. I'm sorry, I can't hear you from this side of the 49th parallel. Well, you will be able to soon. Yeah, 5440 or fight, right? Exactly. I, I always get the number wrong, though, so I put the border in the wrong place, and I say that. Yeah, well, um, Adam's got it wrong, too. Nice. <laughs> 
So, but like, what I'm getting at is, tell me how they're different. The main difference is that M-Epic has the explicit um, sanction and authorization of, 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 the, uh, of the crown, the government, essentially. M-Epic reports directly to the Queen's Privy Council for Canada, which is actually to a subsection of the Queen's Privy Council for Canada, which consists of like five people, one of whom is the Prime Minister and one of whom is the Governor General. I love the fact that Justin Trudeau probably knows about the mythos. That just oh, yeah. so funny to me. Oh yeah, but the thing the thing is is that M Epic doesn't actually, aside from a few kind of wizards within their apparatus, they don't actually know what the mythos is. No, they have a they have a, a really dangerously wrong idea of the mythos. Like they collect mythos tomes and study them and catalog them, which is a really really bad idea. But they don't know that. But they don't know that exactly. It's a bomb waiting to go off. If if they're known to the government, is it something that? Uh, an average Canadian can be recruited for or like you know like is it kind of um, what level of, of secrecy does it have M-Epic is a, a legitimate arm of the Canadian intelligence apparatus they the cover organization is the Environmental Policy and Impact Commission which is a I think is somewhere under the oh epic yeah exactly it's somewhere under the sphere of the of the ministry of the environment i think but they have the power to they basically have everything short of a license to kill and all the npcs are really surprised when they learn that yeah they do and all the legislation that gives them that power is classified under the security of information act nice so just to make sure i understand it uh it's not like you would go into a recruiter's office and say say i want to join m epic you would you would become an intelligence agent you would be outstanding for some reason and someone would come find you from yeah. this cover organization and say, hey, why don't you work for me? Okay. Yeah, you would, either, you would either work for the RCMP or CSIS or um, a Royal Army Intelligence or something like that, and then you would be recruited by somebody from Epic. One of the flaws about um, Epic is that it doesn't have quite enough information about how to play as an Epic officer. That is the biggest flaw with it, yeah, that you have to make up a lot of it. And I've had to do that. I've had to basically make up a whole bunch of stuff, which is fine. One day I'll write it all down. The thing that I like about M Epic, and this will be my, I'll let someone else talk. In the original source book where the M Epic appears, it mentions that they had one encounter with um, Pisces, and in Pisces, like tried to possess some guy, and then he instantly just blew blew them all up, just shot shot a gas tank and blew up all the Shans. So the one encounter they've had with with M Epic, Pisces got literally blown the fuck out. Yeah, yeah I didn't like M Epic when it when I first read it because of the reason that it didn't give any clear instructions on how to actually run a game. It just seemed like a lot of lore um, that I didn't know what to do with. But when I actually ran the game, it was interesting. But I kind of just... I just... I ignored most of the lore, and I had half the characters be M-Epic and half the characters be um, local cops in the Nishnabiaski Police Service, which is the First Nations uh, police agency, which uh, has jurisdiction over an area roughly the size of France in northern Ontario. Uh, because I wanted to have a little bit of uh, tension that wasn't as much tension as you'd get from like a majestic Delta Green team up but some tension because you'd have these local cops which have no resources and these bureaucrats coming up from the south um, and that worked out really interesting. The thing I remember, because I, I saw your stream of posts on that, and I thought it was really cool, but my thinking was, how do you get the players to actually absorb all of this lore? The whole reason why this is a like a cool, fun idea is also something that would be very difficult to um, get the players to the level of background knowledge where they can actually do anything with it. Like, like how? Because when I think, like, these two groups are supposed to be rivals... I think I've had players fight over a lot of stuff, but never because I told them to. That's the one time I can't get them to do it, is when I tell them you guys are supposed to be arch enemies. Tell them that they're best friends, and they'll fight them because you told them not to fight. Well, I didn't I didn't tell them, like, you have to be, 
like at odds with each other because they shouldn't have been at odds because they were both trying to uh, pursue the same mythos threat. But I just when I it was a it was a one shot with uh, pre gen characters, so I just said, okay, this is you know this guy that you've been working with this guy for the last two years, but these bureaucrats you don't know them. And I did the and the and for the Amapic people, I just said, yeah, the local cops you don't know the local cops they they don't know anything. So I just. I created the sort of tension, which wasn't a strong tension because I didn't want too much tension, but I just did the tension by telling them, you know this guy, but you don't know these other guys. And it worked well enough. So, well, I, um, so I mean, is the reason you run and enjoy Amepic, like, is it national pride because you're Canadian? Like, if you were... Totally. So, all right. So, there's, so like, cause, like, I don't... <laughs> not entirely, I, you, not entirely. You have not given me a compelling reason as an American to run Amepic game. I would either just run Delta Green in Canada or I would just run a set, you know, south of the border, but... That's not to say that there's no reason it should exist. There are some things that are a little bit different, a little interesting about M-Epic. One of them being, and maybe this is only interesting to me because being Canadian, I understand why this is funny, but um, one of them being that M-Epic is not really very well equipped. They have like handoff equipment that's been handed off three or four times through various federal agencies. They're like the Rangers. Hey, in, exactly, yeah. So the Canadian Rangers, the guys who, the, the the paramilitary volunteers who patrol like the Arctic and stuff, only this year did we stop issuing them with Lee Enfields. And it was because they ran out of replacement parts. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Oof. Although like the new rifles are pretty cool. Like they have, they have bigger triggers and like bolts and stuff. So you can use them with it to have them and take your gloves off. But the, these, these new rifles are like purpose built for being used in the Arctic. But yeah, it was, they, we've been issuing them World War II rifles for the last 50 years. So this circles up kind of the discussion as a whole. But I think if you gave Glancy or whoever wrote M-Epic or Thompson, you know, hey, I want, you know, a 200 page tome on M-Epic or on the Ikagangwe, you'd have a lot more to play with there. Oh, yeah. The fact that there's only one article about a small French agency or one, you know, a few lines about M-Epic and there's no, you know, detailed rules for them, just do what Will's done and make them yourself. M-Epic has plenty of, has plenty of detail. It just doesn't have detail where you need it. Stormzone said that there's too much lore and not enough uh, playable material. And that's absolutely how I would classify M-Epic. 100% agree with that, yeah. I do have some notes that I've been developing for running games in Amic, and one day they may be in a state that I can share them with the public. So there's there's a handful of scenarios out there that feature this organization, at least a handful of them that are written up in a playable state. Um, Will has written, uh, I think, one or two of those. Two of them. Yeah, there's a third, but it's, it needs to be redone. There's also one by a different guy that's on Fairfield. Oh, yeah, the Manitoba one. The one about the train. That one's different because that one's set in like the 70s, though. I have one that's in my um, back pocket that's hypothetically ready to go uh, whenever. One of the reasons why it's fun to do a different agency is because you can do... Because so much of Delta Green is like... Um, if you go on the Delta Green sub or on the website or the mailing list or any of that stuff, you can see a lot of um, people talking about current events or pieces of like... Uh, weird lore about America, stuff like that, that um, they want to do as a Delta Green scenario. And Canada has that stuff too. Every country has that stuff. Every country has just strange happenings and and uh, weird news articles and pieces of national heritage that are really, um, you know, esoteric or disturbing. And sometimes those things happen in Canada. Like uh, Will and I are working on one about um, the Haskell Free Library and Opera House. Which is a little, which is a, a library that is built on the U.S. Canada border. Precisely on the U.S. Canada border. In fact, there is a line drawn on the floor in the Opera House slash library that demarcates uh, which side is which. And that one is going to be one about M Epic and Delta Green. And uh, I'm trying to think of the other the other um, kind of veins to tap because the Magdalen Islands was uh, 
was one that you were real into based on a series of posts on the traditional games board. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I ended up scrapping it and trying to rewrite it because I was going to do it from a shotgun scenario, but it was it was um, it was going to be a Carcosa thing. And this year, everybody did a Carcosa thing, so I was like, Nah, I'm going to do something else. I don't know if I would have submitted a Carcosa thing if I had known how that would have turned out. Although I still like how that went. That was an SV8 one. Um, SV8 is a, is a little easier because a lot of it is just uh, it 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 almost it almost feels more like just a almost a mirror universe to the green because it's it's a similar like we're hiding from the government we have uh you know no resources and you get away with doing terrible russian accents which is always fun so tormson you mentioned that you mentioned how easy it would be to do a brazilian dg dole wrote this uh this article about an npc who into had interacted with the karatekia around um the time of you know the lost ansia their secret hideout in south america and so there, he didn't really have like a specific place nailed down. So I thought, but I thought that um, the Lost Ancia was because it was an abandoned rubber plantation. I always thought it was supposed to be Fordlandia, which is an abandoned um, rubber plantation in the Amazon rainforest in Brazil. So I made this uh, this guy. This is the guy who helped um, funnel intelligence to Majestic to kill the uh, to to basically attack La Estancia, and now that it's gone and, like, the checks have stopped coming, he's basically this homeless vagrant that guards the ruins, which are infested by all these anomalies that resulted from the aborted summoning of Azathoth. And so it's basically this this deranged homeless man and his, his handful of criminals that he recruited out of the jungle to guard this ruin and warn off anyone who comes treasure hunting. So he's the Brazilian Delta Green equivalent that I, that I came up with, which is a guy who is, is doing essentially a very important task with no resources and uh you know is considered considered a laughing stock by the handful of people who even still know he exists i liked how you it ties in the delta green lore but doesn't tie in it doesn't have a direct relation to delta green itself and i like doing it that way like to tie it in with the massive material but not everything has to be known by delta green straight away because a lot of stuff has been going on so and, and this is one this is one that's not intended for players to use so I tried to write a bunch of uh, ways that you could incorporate it into a game. Because this is one where it is it is like Delta Green travels to another country. That's how I used it. And that would that's an appropriate usage of uh, a foreign intelligence threat slash asset if it's quite simple. And I got another one I never used. Uh, it's not an organization. It's a single NPC that's meant to imply the existence of an organization in the past. And it's a uh, basically like a Viet Cong uh, political officer who, during his adventures in the Plain of Jars discovered a horrible uh, thing living under one of the mountains and so basically decided to trick the americans into arc lighting it by training up a local cadre of volunteers in the mountains so that they would uh like send b-52s to bomb it and so he basically sacrificed all of these comrades to uh eliminate the threat and that was his introduction into fighting the mythos i liked that one that was ingenious. That one is a little, I think, a little harder to incorporate into the present day because, um, but it's something that you could you, you could hypothetically use in the in a Vietnam War era game. He, he's someone who like might have battled Majestic. So, Dormson, uh, if you would round us out here, parting thoughts for wannabe uh, both handlers who want to write about anti-mythos agencies, but also players who are coming up to a game where they're not they're playing with a new character and a new agency they're not familiar with. Any final thoughts here? I would just say, yeah, as I said before, keep it simple. Um, try to lean on what people already know about a country or 
an area, make it uh, explicit what the differences are, what the commonalities are. Um, if you're the if you're the handler, try to make it as simple and evocative as evocative as possible for the players to just slip into characters and come up with characters uh, without getting too stuck in the weeds of cultural difference and stuff. Use cultural difference when it's entertaining, but don't get bogged down um, too much in it because if it will interfere. Um, yeah, that's basically my thoughts. I think it's not as difficult as people worry it might be. Um, I think it's just a matter of keeping it streamlined and keeping it player-facing. That was episode 16 of The Green Box. In the description of this episode, you'll find links to some of the Mythos organizations we talked about, and to ASL's article on foreign agencies, to the r slash night at the Opera subreddit and Discord server, and to our various social media pages. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. We'll be in touch. <laughs>